Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive, mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. All right, guys, welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. Today we have a really special bonus episode um, with one of my dear friends, Reverend Daryl Jones. And he talks all about how much we need um, to just calm and connect back with our spirit at this time. Yeah, it's really powerful. I think he does such a good job of of just taking the conversation and everything that's going on right now and just distilling it down, I think for everybody and, you know, what questions you can ask people and how to start really deep and meaningful conversation. And as silly as it sounds, but sometimes like those little pointers are just like really helpful right now when you're navigating the time and space as we are right now. So we wanted to make sure that we, we just know that he's like full of insight and he was the perfect person I think to have on to talk about all of this. Totally. And I immediately thought of him with everything happening because um, I love just how grounded and rooted in spirituality and working on yourself and understanding and coming from a good non-reactive place. And I think that's what we need. And so he speaks a lot to, how much duality we're in right now and people are in that energy of right versus wrong and, and how we really just need to come back to a space of understanding, which is so important. And he gives you guys so many tools, like tangible little things you can do starting today. Um, and it's that ripple effect that makes the world a better place. Right. Absolutely. And I think too, just what he was saying, like to have, any of these conversations right now, you have to be in a vulnerable space. Like you have to let yourself be vulnerable, which I think, you know, (laughs) probably starting at the beginning of this year, a lot of people already went very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not as difficult to reach that space as it was before, but I think it's true. Just like, you know, owning up to things you didn't know or rediscovering or learning about yourself or learning about your past or what you've learned from family or growing up. And I think, um, just allowing yourself to be open and more vulnerable, I think is also really powerful. Totally. All right. So we hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Um, as always, leave us a review if you feel called to, if you enjoy this and let us know how you like the episode. Yep. Thanks for listening guys. All right, everyone. Welcome to this episode of coffee with the docs today. We are so lucky to have Reverend Daryl Jones. And this is a bonus episode for those of you that might be listening well after we recorded this. Um, It's summer of 2020. And in light of current events, we wanted to bring some grounded spirituality and conversation around what's happening. And I couldn't think of someone better than Daryl. So welcome, Daryl. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be with both of you. Totally. So we'd love for you to start, Daryl, just to kind of introduce yourself to our audience that may not know you and Mm -hmm. a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, So my name is Daryl Jones. You can use the title Reverend Daryl, but um, I am a minister and I've studied, I have a master's in consciousness studies. And prior to going to grad school for that, spirituality and religion has been a part of my world. It was literally a part of my upbringing with my father being a minister. And um, I've always been interested in lots of different things. I had that liberal arts kind of, you know, let's dabble over here in political science and then let's go to theater and let's talk about Chinese culture and then let's talk about radical feminism or whatever it may be. So I've always had my hands in different things from the standpoint that all types of life Um, use systems to make sense of their world. And sometimes it's spiritual or religious. 
Other times it might be more scientific, it might be psychologically based, it might be sociologically based. And I love all of those things. And that's ultimately what drew me to the program that I uh, graduated from getting my master's. And then along with that, it was also the opportunity to become a minister because I think there's something really powerful about the care, um, the pastoral care in particular that clergy can offer to the community. That's a little bit different than a coach. That's a little bit different than um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. A lot of similar things happen, but there's just a different space when someone can embrace or sit with the idea of their spirit. And so I um, have worked many, many, many jobs. I had a online ministry that I called Soul Gym, S-O-U-L-G-Y-M. And I still have a slight presence of that on social media. Um, hope to revamp that on the other side of this COVID thing. Um, but the whole premise behind that is that regardless of what someone's personal faith belief may be, my work as a minister and how I want to do my ministry is not necessarily trying to convince someone to believe something in particular, but to get everyone to recognize that there's some level of responsibility that we must employ, just as we understand the, the basic mechanics and functions of the body. If we don't go to the gym and exercise that understanding, then just reading you know, Men's Health Magazine, which I do every single time I go to the grocery store, I'm like, oh, I know what to do to get six pack abs this year. But do I have six pack abs? No, because I haven't <laughs> engaged in all of the exercises on a regular basis. I do some exercise here, I do a little bit there, but it's not something that is really affording significant change in my physiology. And I think the same is true for many people when it comes to the sense of their soul or their spirit. A lot of people read texts, they read holy books and literature, they may take classes and workshops, and all of that is important to keep doing it. But then there's this responsibility that we all need to take in doing something regularly on our own just like we may get up in the morning, do some stretches, do 10 push-ups, and a bunch of jumping jacks. Like if you started doing that every single day, you would start to notice a shift, right? As opposed to, oh, I'll go to the gym once or twice this week, and then you actually only go once, and then you don't do it again for two weeks. Doing a little bit starts the engine going. And the same, I think, is true with our spirituality and um, any soul work that we may need to do. It's not about going away and doing a 10-day Vipassana retreat, which you can do. It's not even about going to like a holy land destination, which I think pilgrimages are amazing. But what are you doing on Tuesday at 10 o'clock? What are you doing Wednesday night at 8 p.m.? What are you doing at Thursday at 12.30 to like keep things going? And that has been the conversation that I've been holding with myself and with others for almost 15 years now. And it's typically been in the spiritual context. But three years ago, I helped launch a more secular conversation based around mindfulness. For me, one of the fundamental spiritual practices is meditation. If you want to get in touch with your spirit, if you want to know more and cultivate a new relationship or broaden your relationship with the universe, God, Adonai, Jesus, whomever may be an icon of spirit for you, the only way to really cultivate that is to sit in relationship to it and, and welcome stillness and listen. Um, and, but that same practice is beneficial completely in a secular context. And really got into mindfulness, started reading and studying John Kabat-Zinn, who was a psychologist that brought the practice of meditation out of the kind of woo-woo space in the 70s to a clinical study. And so 40 years later now, we have studies by the military and Harvard and other uh, higher institutions of lear learning, along with you know, studies by more traditional healthcare agencies, looking at the benefits of mindfulness and in particular meditation and how it can support us physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, and neurologically. And meditation was a part of my spiritual work. And I was like, you know what? There's some people that whether just because of their upbringing, their background, their personal history and story, they're not going to make their way into a Sunday service or they're not gonna make their way into a workshop that says explore your spirituality. They're just gonna say F you, you know, the church is screwed up or the synagogue is, you know, blasphemous or whatever it may be. And 
the, the sad thing is, is that this practice of mindful meditation doesn't have to be associated with any idea of spirituality, but it's an exercise that can benefit your mental and emotional well-being, which I think everyone always needs, especially now at this time of our life, at this time of 2020, where the, you know, the proverbial shit has completely hit the fan. Um, <clears throat> what do you do? How do you navigate this? And this is a practice that regardless of what's going on, if you employ it on a regular basis every single day, and whether it's two minutes or 20 minutes or two hours, to get the body, to get the mind, to get the heart used to coming to a space of being present and being in the presence of the moment, it does so much to afford, um, basically, I mean, you guys talk about things that are anti-inflammatory all the time, right? whether it's our environment, whether it is things that we eat or digest. Well, our emotions and that chronic state of, of stress and anxiety that most of us live in, it's inflammatory to our entire being. And so to practice this mindful meditation in a regular way, it reduces some of that inflammation, even if it's only for an hour, even if it only sustains for two hours. But if you come back and practice it again and over and over and over again, then just like brushing your teeth twice a day, does something in a larger arc to um, sustain, possibly improve your oral uh, wellness. The same is true with meditation. Doing a little bit every day, after a week, two weeks, um, really four weeks or eight weeks is where all the studies have shown that's where there's significant um, um, sustenance in the practice. But once you start doing it regularly, that's where the arc of the benefit really starts to leave the proverbial meditation cushion and follow you out into all of the relationships and the comings and goings of your life. And so that's my personal work now is I want to talk to people. I want to teach people. I want to lead people in the practices of mindful meditation in more of a secular conversation, but prayer and spiritual study, um, all of those things contribute to I believe anti-inflammatory, you know, mind, spirit, body connection. And um, if people want to talk about it in the context of their religion or their spirituality, awesome. If they want to get into nerddom and go down to quantum physics theory, awesome. Or if they're just like, you know what, I just need to learn how to do this thing and so I can breathe and chill out a little bit, sweet. All of it is pointing in the same direction, making the world a better place, making the individual a better citizen on the planet. And so that's what I'm here for. Wow. I love that. And this is why we have you on today. Right. Thanks for attending the podcast. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so Daryl, it's awesome. And I love that it's so um, inclusive to really what any, where anybody is and what they're looking to achieve and what their background is. So that's awesome. Yeah. Before we go too deep into the conversation, we always ask our guests two questions. Mm -hmm. So one is the first one is what are you drinking? Hence mm. coffee with the doc. So what is something you've been enjoying lately? Sure. Um, well, I was a hardcore bulletproofer for a long time. So I love my MCT oil and all the, the fat. But then I just had noticed a shift. I love coffee, so I'm always drinking coffee. I'm still drinking the actual brand of Bulletproof coffee um, in terms of it having less toxins in it. Again, that anti-inflammatory space, right? But I'm, I'm drinking coffee. Um, I've been getting into just giving myself a green boost here and there too. Um, there's just something about being more sedentary, sitting at a desk and working from home all the time, mm -hmm. even though it's warming up now and I can go outside and literally touch greens. There's something about like drinking or eating more greens. So I've been doing some just, you know, sometimes it's just Trader Joe's green juice, nothing sexy. Um, so coffee and greens, shakes, been doing a little bit of a cleanse. You know about that, mm -hmm. Dr. Abby? I know. Um, but steadily every day, it's usually coffee. Do you like to put anything in your coffee or not at this point? I am, I, so this is not a great uh, anti-inflammatory practice. <laughs> I love the dairy. And <laughs> the dairy. All, the the dairy. dairy. That's very shocking. Uh, I love you. <laughs> I love dairy. And in particular, the heavy whipping cream. Oh, yeah. So the best. Um, I usually so get a tablespoon or two in there and cream it right up. 
Yeah. All right. I like it. Yeah. I can dig it. And then the second question we ask everyone is what is your latest biohack? What is something that you are enjoying that kind of, yeah, mm. biohacks makes things faster, helps you feel better in your day? Yeah. Um, in this immediate moment, I don't know if, I, I, I mean, you can tell me better if it's a hack or not. I've just been taking uh, supplements like crazy and um, mostly immune boosting supplements. So the hack for me is I don't want to live in a space of fear of, oh my God, am I going to catch this thing or something? I want my body to be as strong as possible because the things are just going to be there. Sometimes they're more prevalent, sometimes they're not. Um, so I've been, you know, hitting the C, hitting the Bs, hitting the uh, vitamin D, hitting vitamin C. Um, I've been trying to actually give my thyroid a little bit of attention with some supplements just to keep my energy up because I've noticed that we were talking about uh, before we got on the call. For me, I get a lot of energy from other people and I think physiologically the biohack on that is when I'm around other people, I don't have to sustain my own energy all the time. And I can't do that now because it's me and my wife and we give each other energy, but she's gone for three or four days of the week. And I'm just here hanging out with me, which is an awesome person. And there's something to be said for others. So in that space of social distancing, I guess the biohack for me is some of the supplements that lift my thyroid and lift my energy and, 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 sustain me where I normally would have gotten that from being around others. Absolutely. Oh, those are great. Yeah. It's absolutely a hack. Yeah. Total hack. Totally. For sure. Total hack. hack. Okay, Daryl. So what we yeah. all kind of want to start out with this episode is pretty much just give you the floor. Oh. And we'd love to hear just where you're at like today. Sure. With it, and what are your current thoughts on what's happening? Yeah. Um, so where I am personally with it, I'll start there and then translate it out to maybe just practices for everyone to make it more universal. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my personal energy I've noticed has been wavering and challenged because of the social distancing. And so that has made everything in my life amplified. It's basically like a chronic stress for me. Um, it's not necessarily anxiousness that I'm experiencing, but it's just, uh, it's just a stress that's there that doesn't get really lifted um, that easily or, or hasn't been for the past few months. It's starting to shift a little bit now. Um, and so I've always operated from that space and there's all kinds of people that, that, that have said this quote, um, where it originated from, no one really can point well. Some people go back to 15th century philosophers and talk about Dr. Wayne Dyer, who just passed away uh, last year. But this idea that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, right? That we have this idea of a spirit, not that's lofty or detached, but it is a little transcendent than what we experienced in the tangible world, right? It's that moment of... Um, going on vacation when we could do that and you go hike in a mountain or you stand by the ocean and you have that moment of awe, right? Where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is breathtaking. Or you look up at the sky at night and you see all the stars and you feel that vastness of the universe. That I believe is that tapping into the sense of who we are as a spirit. That we are a spirit embodied in this bag of bones and ligaments and tendons and all kinds of workings. Um, and neither of them are better than the other. It's just, we are complex layered beings. But what happens for me and what I think happens for most of us is that our human experience is so intriguing. It's so sexy and sensationalized that most of us spend time on Facebook going, what they say, oh my God, what'd you say? Oh my God, what'd they say? Or I'm gonna say this. Oh, they, I can't believe they said that, right? And we get sucked into all of these things. And it's important to be um, passionate about our beliefs and the things that are there. But at the end of the day, whether or not we say something that someone reacts to or doesn't react to on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, um, what does that have to do with our spirit? You know, And for me, uh, spirit and spirituality lives in a space of non-dualism. And our human experience is all about duality, right and wrong black and white, 
good and bad, right? We're, we see this right now in particular with um, the conversation around police. It's like police are all either all shit or they're, or they're not, right? We either need to defund them or we need to have it. And there's like not any space for gray in there. Um, and most of my life has been very, very gray. Um, I don't know about you two. So when we get sucked into that dualism, when we get sucked into living our life totally in our humanness, that's where most, like from the Buddhist tradition, that's where suffering lives, right? To be attached to our human experience as the totality of who we are. So for me personally, I mean, you can call it a hack or not, but it's finding ways to reconnect to my spirits, finding a way to connect to an essence of me that is non-dualistic. And that may seem a little lofty, but all I'm really referencing, it's like love is love is love. Like unconditional love doesn't need anything. Love is just love. Peace just is peace. Joy is just joy. Light is just light. You can't cut light in half and then you've got some light over here. It's just like, okay, if you cut it in half and you've got two lights, that's it. If you've got, if you take love and you try to cut it, it's just, there's love here and there's love here. It's not necessarily less or more. And that to me is, is what I uh, am always aspiring to connect to, to support myself. And then as I talk to people, as I teach classes, as I pray with people, as, I mean, I've had phone calls from, from friends and family where I pick up the phone and I don't hear anything because they're just in the midst of a sob, they're crying. And um, so it's in those instances for myself and for whomever that I'm supporting, the desire is like, how can we not diminish those feelings because they're important, but can we somehow just bring a little bit of your spirit back into the conversation? And almost instantaneously when that happens, there's a softening that happens. There's a loosening on the grip of um, that dualism because usually someone's in a space of I'm right and they're wrong or I'm wrong and they're right or we can't possibly work together, or it, it's, it's limiting the experience of our humanness. Um, and so the, the, the practice, the idea, the teaching of how can we connect, and in particular, how can we be inclusive in our connection? From my personal experience growing up as a mixed race um, child and now adult, I have not known anything but inclusivity in my world. That doesn't mean that I haven't experienced racism. That doesn't mean that I haven't experienced bigotry and hatred. I've actually experienced it in my family. And, but I, I've grown up with a lens of always looking to, um, to notice difference, not to try to be blind to it, notice it, but then let that difference not be uh, a calling card to fight and go into that dualism, but just to go, oh, so we need to broaden our understanding here. We need to widen the arms and literally hug and welcome a little bit more of something into this experience, whether it's a conversation on race, whether it's a conversation on gender, whether it's a conversation on, on spirituality and religious beliefs, whether it is uh, a conversation on xenophobia and you know the borders, whether it's a conversation even on healthcare and wellness. I have very, very strong opinions about our healthcare system and how it needs to move and shift um, so that it can be more inclusive. But if I say F you to anyone who doesn't believe that, then what kind of dialogue are we gonna have that promotes real sustainable change? Yes. And so that's the thing for me. If we don't soften our ego a little bit, if we don't let go of that dualistic thing of someone's gotta be right and someone's gotta be wrong and I've gotta fight for the power to be right, if we can't loosen that to be more inclusive, then there's not going to be dialogue that sustains actual significant change. And we're gonna replay what we've been replaying for you know decades, centuries, and even millennia. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I am. It's all about how can we welcome dialogue and it's not fast contrary to how we like to move in the Western world. Um, it's, it's going to take some patience. That's my personal prayer. I literally connected with a dear friend of mine today. And at the end of uh, calls, either we pray together 
Or if we don't have time, we say, what can I hold for you with prayer? What can I know for you? And I said, I need you to know patience for me because as much as I intellectually understand it, I'm grappling with it, right? In my actual behavior, choices, decisions, and words with myself, being patient with myself and being patient definitely with the world. Um, so to be inclusive, to broaden and to really champion dialogue that is about understanding, compassionate understanding, and it may lead to a space where there isn't necessarily agreement. Um, but my hope, I mean, this is where I place my faith, is that there is something greater than the condition that we currently live in. There is something greater than the, um, the fear that most of the world lives in. And that there is something greater than the ignorance, not from the, I don't use that term like you're an ignorant imbecile, like in that tone, but there's so much ignorance in the world that we don't know enough about one another. That's what promotes the fear and that's what doesn't promote the kind of dialogue that's sustainable. So to be patient enough, because I'm ignorant just as much as the other person is. There's still things that I'm learning about myself and how I believe and operate in the world. There's still things I just don't know about, you know, other people in the world and their experience. And it takes patience to learn that and it takes patience to be understood um, when we're trying to share whatever our experience may be. So that's kind of what's on the front burner. Yeah. Of my stove. No, I love all of that. I really love too, just the fact that you're saying how in the Western world, we kind of want everything to have been done yesterday. And some of the stuff feels like it should have been resolved yesterday, but mm -hmm. just understanding that it will probably take some time and some patience. Yeah. And so what tools are you utilizing to help yourself process during this time and also to remain kind of out of that dualism that you were speaking about? Right. Well, I don't, um, I don't stay out of the dualism. And I think that is um, something that I really want to emphasize, not from a place of helplessness and that we're not able to do that, but that conversation of like our human self and our spiritual self or the non-dualistic and the dualistic self, we aren't going to get to a space of utopia. As much as there's dreams of that, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a joke based out of um, Christian scripture that, you know, wherever two or more are gathered, you know, there is the possibility of the love of Jesus to be. But then there's a further joke, or that's not a joke, but the joke is wherever two or more are gathered, there's going to be disruption. Wherever two or more are gathered, there's going to be war. Wherever two or more are gathered, there's going to be disharmony simply because you walk into a room and someone goes, oh, that's a beautiful blue wall. And someone goes, what? That's not blue. That's black, you know? And so right there, all of a sudden, you have grounds for discord. And you're talking about colors of paint on a wall. Um, so I have to, the way, one of the things that I do is, I, is I'm constantly humbling myself that I am not perfect. I'm humbling myself that... I am human and I struggle with my humanity. And then my practice is how do I return and welcome in my spirit? So prayer, meditation, journaling, in terms of social distancing, even though we may not physically get to connect as much, I realize how the social distancing was just promoting isolation period for me. I wasn't calling people as often. I wasn't texting people as often. I wasn't engaging in all the other platforms that we could. And I was in a total space this afternoon and I was like, I'm going to call my friend. And I called my friend and didn't necessarily give me any great advice, but I literally kind of like vomited on the phone, all of the, you know, the crappiness of humanness on the phone. They're like, yeah, that kind of sucks. And I was like, ah, oh, I was heard. Yes. Right. And all of a sudden, there was this like levity to my shoulders. There was a levity to my heart. And it, it being seen in my humanness allowed some space for my spirit to return. 
And so, you know, I, I don't know if there isn't a single practice, there isn't a single thing to do that's going to avail that. And I think it changes day by day based upon what's happening in an individual's world. But for me, the core things are prayer, meditation, and I like to call it spiritual study. And that can look like lots of different things. That can be um, reading a specific holy text and doing some contemplation and reflection on that or some journaling. But spiritual study can come in the stand of anything that uh, in particular is reading that is inspiring, right? To be inspired, if you think about that word, it means to be in spirit. So if we read something that's inspiring, if we read something that touches our heart, not just data points in our mind, when we can get below the neckline and read something that it, that it, it infuses our body, infuses our heart with some movement, that's where we again create space for spirit. So there's this idea of um, whenever I work with people individually, I always in, uh, evoke the image of the yin and yang, right? So like in the Taoist belief that there's these two forces that are constantly not in, in um, combat with one another, but they need to work together, that they're, you know, that they're, they're needed. And I kind of see prayer and meditation like that. In, in particular, if you're having a conversation that is based in more of a spiritual idea or even a religious idea of like communion with God or the divine, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, my prayer wasn't answered, or I, you know, I didn't get what I want. And it's like, okay, well, you're asking for what you need, or you're speaking of affirmations into this law of creativity, but are you sitting still and listening to what's coming back to you? Most of us don't listen very well, myself included. I'm sure my wife could confirm that. Um, we constantly listen with the need to do a couple of things. We listen to fix we listen to correct. We listen to get out of a conversation. How many times have you started, like someone walks up to you or they call you and you're like, hey, you? And all you're doing is listening for the out. They could be dropping some crazy information <laughs> that could be feeding your heart and you're listening through a filter of how can I escape the situation? <laughs> so most of the time, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're listening through filters that can really stymie what's available to us, in particular wisdom. So to have a practice of listening or meditation partnered with some sort of affirmative work or prayer work, those two together, is, that's the power combo for me. I love that. It's awesome. Yeah. I love that inspire and spirit. I know. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't That's know amazing. That. It's, not, that. It's, not an, it's not original to me. I can't, I can't take it for that. I've heard <laughs> Michael Beckwith, Dr. Wayne Dyer, any of the kind of like modern mystical authors yeah. and speakers. Everyone is pulling from these different, you know, traditions. But if you think about it, any of the practices that we do, like sometimes being inspired, I used to always equate it to um, years ago, I was married and I was divorced. And when I was going through the pain of the divorce was over, but then there was the healing that happens after the actual thing is done. And I watched sleepless in Seattle more than I would like to admit. <laughs> and oh, good. It's, it, it is something that even though it connected to some pain points for me, there was something in that movie that inspired me that did excite and, and, and connect me to an idea that love, yes, still is possible, right? Mm. That, beyond the death of what we thought was perfect love, there's still the possibility for something else. And so that may seem kind of trivial to this rom-com, a Hollywood produced film, but you know what? It did so much to feed my soul and spirit in a time when I needed it. And it worked until it didn't work anymore, you know? And then I needed to get a little bit meatier, um, a little bit more in depth with some of the, the, the work that I did that would inspire me. But for a long time, man, that was, that was my jam. I mean, that was my inspiration jam. It, 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 it helped me get out of the pain of my human experience and not minimize it, but it helped me lift just enough out of it so that I could connect to that notion of spirit, that love is just love and love is always available. It's not something that's transient. It's not really something that's conditional if I approach it and embrace it in an unconditional way. Awesome. 
That's great. Yeah. Now, Daryl, kind of moving forward with um, current events happening, okay. how now, and I'm sure this is like changing on the daily, but how do you feel like people can best support people of color at this time and the movement going forward? And I know, you know, it's also on everyone to kind of discover for themselves and research and see what resonates, but yeah. what would your advice be for people looking to get more involved? Well, I think there's, there's many ways to get involved. <clears throat> and again, speaking a little bit to our Western drive to want to get in and fix something. Um, I, if, if I know that there are individuals out there, you know, our, our Euro Anglo white based brothers and sisters have had those moments where they've reached out to a person of color, a black person, a brown person, and they're like, what can I do? And they were probably met with some resistance and maybe even some anger. And the reason I can't speak for all, but I can speak from my own experience and with some folks of color that I have uh, been in connection with over the years and my entire life is that when someone is marginalized and is having a hard time figuring out how to be and is threatened in any way, then someone who is not as marginalized asks, what can I do to help you? It's kind of this weird thing of like, I, I don't know. I just know I need you to help me, but I can't figure it out for you. I'm trying to figure this shit out for myself. Right? Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that as women, you've probably experienced that sometimes with men and gender roles. It's like all of a sudden someone has an awakening around the way that you know, women have been marginalized or pushed aside or maybe just looked down upon, whether it's a professor in school, whether it's a colleague or coworker, whether it's a social gathering or meeting and someone comes up and they just assume that you're not a professional and that you're just stay at home mom or whatever it may be. And those little things and then well, someone says, well, well, what should I say? And it's like, dude, what? <laughs> like step back for a minute and there's a conversation to be had there, but sometimes it can't happen right away. So to that, there is a lot of, I mean, as a man, I wanted to do everything that I could. Um, I woke up to kind of the idea of gender roles and feminism and masculinity and all of that pretty early compared to a lot of my brothers. Um, I was thinking about that well, like in junior high. Um, and really, by the time I got into college, I was taking like these radical, like poli-sci feminist courses where it was like me and another dude and a bunch of women and like everyone was really <laughs> angry in the room at men. <laughs> but the whole reason that I went there is that I wanted to understand, not just from a surface level, but I wanted to get into the politics of it and, and read books and theory that was like, wow, dang. So... It, it made me aware of my language when I was hanging out with other guys, even if a woman wasn't in the room, it was just like, man, me just flippantly saying a word like chick, like it's not that bad or not, but there's some level of consciousness around that that I could bring to how me and my other brothers talk about the women in our lives when we're together and there's no women in the room. Because there's definitely words that would never ever be used in front of other women, right? Mm -hmm. And the same is true, I think, when it comes to racial relations, is that there's some sort of self-education and, and awareness. This, to me, is why it's not the fix-all for everything, but mindfulness and mindful meditation is about becoming aware, period. So to be in a practice of mindful activities, whether it be meditation, whether it be reading books that are not written about Blacks speaking to Whites, but other whites talking about how we as whites are uh, ideally stepping forward when it comes to um, racial relations, that's one side of the coin where it's like this idea of some self-education and self-awareness. Um, but then back to what I said before in terms of dialogue and conversation to approach a person of color and maybe not ask a question right away in terms of like, what can I do? What should we do? Maybe just say, tell me your story. How 
I'm really interested in how the way this country holds race has impacted your living, how it's impacted your finances, how it's impacted your safety, how it's impacted your emotional and mental well-being. That's very different. And if you start with that conversation, the level of trust that gets connected there, then if the next conversation was, well, what do you think, you know, it, what, it, if you could have, you know, carte blanche and say to any white person, this is what I want from you without worry of, of any sort of like retaliation, what would that be? And that could be a very, very powerful conversation. But to start with connecting and finding, everyone wants to tell their story, regardless if it's about race, you know, uh, you know, racial uh, challenges that they've experienced in their life or not. Everyone wants to, everyone loves a good story and everyone wants to tell their story. Everyone wants to be heard. So to approach a person of color and ask them to share with you just some aspect of their life and the way racism has impacted them, I think would do a lot to soften some of the dualistic edges that we are in right now. I love that. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. I think storytelling is so powerful in so many ways. And so just giving that space and time to be heard. Do you have any recommended resources or organizations or books or anything that you yes. really recommend? Um, I had the book. It's in another room. So I'm just going <laughs> to look it up quickly online. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's not in front of me. Um, so Robin D'Angelo wrote a book called White Fragility. And it's mm-hmm. fairly contemporary. That's one of the reasons why I like it is that it's not like, you know, Oh, Margaret Mead, who did a lot of sociological work on race in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. She's still uh, a poignant person to read, but it's a little dated just because the context of how studies were done and the way the conversation was. Like, if you read a book that still refers to people as Negro, not that the principle in there isn't going to be valid, but it's just, it's just dated. And so yeah. it's rough sometimes to get through that. Um, so uh, this book, White Fragility, actually, she came and spoke at my dad's church a few years ago, and my parents had like five or six books, and they're like, here, take a couple of copies. So um, it's not an easy read, but it is a powerful one. So that would be a specific, a specific uh, resource that I would suggest. That's great. And it's a way to start studying on your own, because it's, it's, it, 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 it requires vulnerability, period. Mm-hmm. And if anyone thinks that they're going to step into a conversation on race and in particular racism and how it's played out in our, in our individual and collective worlds, and they're not willing to be vulnerable, then they're not really exploring the challenge. Mm-hmm. And so it might be safer for someone to do that reflection on their own a little bit and to start with a book like that, that still poses some hard questions, that still tells some rough stories. Um, would be would be really good. Oh, really? That's great. We'll link to that book. Yeah. So, and kind of on the other side of the fence, mm-hmm. how do you feel like people of, of color can move forward? And what can they do to also further the conversation? Sure. Um, you know, I was, I had to take lots of deep breaths, lots of deep breaths. Um, <clears throat> but a dear friend of mine, forwarded and, and I don't know how, I don't know when the interview took place I didn't take enough note but it was just something that was forwarded through Facebook Messenger it was an interview that Charles Barkley did with uh, Richard let me see if I can find it here basically the guy who kind of coined the alt-right the alternative right as a movement that really was this you know some people may give it the name of like neo-Nazi or nationalist. I mean, they're very, very nationalistic. Right. Um, But he sat down with this guy and I think a lawyer. And this was recently? This was was recently. Wow. And had a conversation. And I mean, all the race buttons on my body were pushed. (laughs) All the power buttons on my body were pushed. But what it did, I mean, even Charles Barkley, you mentioned it afterwards. He was like, I walked into this meeting having the intention of really wanting to hear this guy 
And he said, I had to bite my lip. I had to almost sit on my hands. Um, and Charles Barkley is huge. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I mean, not that he was trying to instill fear in this man, but I mean, he's just a, a presence, you know, yeah. when, when, yeah. when you're in the same room with him. And he just really spoke from this, this place of, um, I don't think life, liberty, he actually used the word, um, one of the, the, the other guy that was there, who's also African-American with, with Charles Barkley said, he said, I just want you to understand that what I want as a black man and what you want as a white man is no different. Like I want the same fundamental rights of anyone in this country, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To which this guy responded, oh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That sounds so faggy. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was just like, that's a bunch of crap. That's not for everybody. That's just some airy fairy speak. And I was just like, wow. 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 But as a person of color to not kind of like, for lack of a better phrase, re-traumatize myself, but to really listen and hear where this guy was coming from, didn't make his position right, didn't make me agree with him, but I was able to see the fear that it was coming from, that he was, in terms of living in dualism, he just was, I mean, I'm simplifying where he's coming from, but he is in such a belief that there has been an imbalance of power that he has experienced and, and lived from. He acknowledges his privilege as a white male and doesn't want to give that up. Right. And doesn't think it should be given up. And he probably wouldn't say he's scared, but as he was sharing that, it was so blatant to me that it's like, oh, let me think of some times when I've had like really big power or say so in a conversation and I find myself wanting to like, you know, inject my um, power or inject my decision making and whatever influence I may have, that's totally coming out of a place of fear that my ego is like, you're not gonna get your say. It's no different, it's much more extreme, but it's the same thing. And so for me, it was this really humbling moment of like, okay, I want to be who I am, who is a black man on this planet that in his human experience gets very angry, gets very sad and has all of those emotions. And if I'm going to really be able to um, engage with the edge of transformation, I've got to be able to hear that. Mm -hmm. And wow not go to the place of just, oh, I'll punch the guy in the face or I'll run away, you know, which is fight or right, flight, right. which is where most of us go to. Right, right. Um, so as a people of color, I don't think this is like a should because some, some of us, depending upon where we are in life, we're just not going to get there yet, right? But for those people of color who are really trying to find a way to have dialogue, to, to be able to hear and listen to some of the worst things you've ever heard someone say about you and be able to meet them in a space of genuine dialogue, that is huge. And it's not for everybody. Just like it's not gonna be for everyone to read that white fragility book. I'm not saying that like every white person needs to go out and read that and if they don't, they're not gonna be truly you know, liberated to promote you know, racial equality in this country. That's just one way of doing it. So this right. idea of people of color either going into a room or watching videos or reading some of the, the other side, if you will, is not going to be what I would say everyone needs to do. But it is something that we can do because to me, it's ultimately informing ourselves mm -hmm. um, of what is really where the things, the, the ideas and beliefs are really coming from. And well, I guess like you're saying then, you know, the same as the flip side, it would lead to you potentially being able to have a more like centered and grounded conversation with someone. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, completely reactive on both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's other ideas if I thought about it a little bit more, but that's, 
No, that's great. I mean, then speaking of being centered and grounded, so you've, you know, I consider you an expert in meditation and we've, we've touched on it and talked about it a little bit and just how it can support people right now. So do you have any advice for people who are either, you know, just kind of getting into meditation or, or people who have been, you know, doing it for a long time and they're looking to expand their practice, I guess, either, either direction. Sure. Um, I think there's something to be said. I mean, I hope this doesn't come off as like total shameless self-promotion, um, but there's something to be said for guided meditation, right? There's so many different ways to meditate the most kind of like traditional, or at least when you say meditation, a lot of people instantly have an image of like a monk sitting cross-legged with, you know, yeah. saffron or mustard robes on and beads and incense and gongs and chanting. Um, not that that's the only way, but that's kind of a stereotype of, 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 of meditation. And to be in that kind of like stoic, almost like monk, like space is not realistic for most of us unless we live in a monastery or we live in the mountains as an ascetic away from the modern world so the benefit of guided meditation is that it literally tells your attention what to do and whether it is a guided practice that's based in sound so like listening to crystal balls or a certain frequency where it helps move the brain into like a theta state, if you will, where it naturally goes into that more relaxed, calm place. Um, but to have someone guide you through a visualization, some people like to like picture themselves floating over the planet and seeing all kinds of amazing things. To have someone guide you through that experience as opposed to conjure it up for yourself, it's so nurturing and supportive in a way to care for yourself. Um, definitely for beginners to sit down and try to wrangle your attention for five minutes and you've never had quiet space in your life like that, it can be really challenging. Some people though are so thirsty and they need it so bad, they sit down and they can go, oh my gosh, I could sit here for five hours. Right. Obviously the teacher has met the student and they're ready for it. Mm-hmm. For most of us though, to have someone guide you through five minutes to 20 minutes to a half an hour of meditation is such a great way to get into the practice. It's basically like training wheels. But then even for individuals who have practiced for a long time, it can be beneficial, especially if it's a meditation that has an intention to, um, to bring about a certain uh, impact. So like, for example, it comes out of the, the Buddhist tradition, but you can do this regardless of your belief system. It's called loving kindness. And to have someone guide you through that process of loving kindness, it's about sitting with the image of someone that you love and offering them love and kindness. It's offering it to yourself, but then you offer it to someone that you don't like, someone that pushes your buttons and makes you angry. And to have someone guide you through that experience, it is profound. And it does something to build your resiliency to manage anger, resentment, stress, as well as the love and kindness and happiness, but it cultivates compassion, which I think is something that the planet needs in order to have the conversations we've been talking about today. Guided meditations um, that are pointed in that direction help the beginner as well as the expert or the you know, experienced practitioner in, mm-hmm. um, in deepening and, and getting more into their meditation. Awesome. Sure. And now for people, probably so many people listening in our now, like I need meditation in my life. Mm-hmm. Where do I start? Um, you know, and I think it's such an amazing tool because it's free, if not very inexpensive, maybe, you know, download some, some guided meditations. And it's a way like we were speaking to that people can reconnect to their spirit. Yeah. So they can navigate this time a little bit easier. Absolutely. Um, what are some of your favorite resources for finding guided meditations for people? Sure. So um, I have to speak to the business that I, <laughs> that I help run. For it's sure. Um, no, please. Um, we you can used hear to be more of Carol's voice. Yes, you can hear more of my voice, but it's not just about me. We have about 12 to 13 other practitioners that bring um, forward 
lots of different types of meditation. And they, other than just having a different voice than me, they may facilitate it slightly different. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I started working with Chill is that it supported my mission of, of my personal mission of inclusivity. We don't say you have to do transcendental meditation or you have to practice Zen Buddhism or you have to do this certain type of mindfulness practice. We welcome all different kinds of practices under this idea and notion of chilling, right? So the name of the business is Chill Anywhere. And what if you could chill anywhere? as opposed to having to, initially we had a physical studio and now we have a digital platform. It's Chill Anywhere, it's an app. You can go to chillanywhere.com and download it for iOS or Android. And there's live classes every day, which I think there's an accountability with the live classes that support people. It's actually happening and it's like, oh, the class is at 6 p.m. So I've got to make sure to finish this last email and then I'm going to do the class. Or it's at eight in the morning. It's like, I got to, you know, I'm going to wait and have breakfast afterwards. I'm going to do this 30 minute guided meditation. And then for the days when our schedule doesn't match, there's tons of recorded um, that are varying in times from five minutes to, to an hour, depending upon what you, your personal needs are and what your schedule allows. And that I'm going to champion because it's a product that I'm very passionate about. And what I do know is that there's not one size that fits all. And there are so many different apps out there. And the, the overarching message would be is that app meditation is legit. Some people are like, oh, well, you know, I've used this app before, but it's not really meditating. I'm like, why is that not meditating? Did you sit down, take some deep breaths? Mm -hmm. Okay, then you meditate. Um, the fact that you had, you know, headphones on, that you had your phone in your lap, um, that someone was talking you through the experience doesn't make it any less impactful than if you were to, you know, go sit under a tree and take your shoes off and feel the earth and light incense and, you know, rub two sticks together or whatever it may be. <laughs> that is powerful too, but it's a very specific way of meditating. And again, in our modern world, we need ways to make this accessible. Um, so app meditation, but if, if someone's like, well, I don't want to download another app, go onto YouTube. We have a, a page on YouTube that's chill meditation or just type in meditation music. Listen to five minutes, keep your eyes open and just look out the window and focus on the present moment. Enjoy the sounds, enjoy the feeling of the breath moving in and out of the body. That's the beginning of a meditation practice. Even if it's just one minute, if, if there's nothing else that you're, listeners take away today that are interested and excited about meditation if they've never really done it before try one minute twice a day for a week start there i equate it to physical exercise you know people get excited and this is why things fail for a lot of people in the new year is they're like i'm going to start the new year off i'm going to the gym five times a week and they may do it for two weeks and then the third week rolls around and they're like this is not sustainable Right. In that dualistic space, if I don't go five days a week, then I'm not really doing it. So screw it. I can't do it. And they stop. Right. So I challenge people to not be overindulgent in the meditation practice to begin and start small and build their way up. Just like you might go into a gym and I can only lift 20 pounds. Well, then lift 20 pounds and let that be your strengthening practice until you can get to 25. Right. If you can only do one minute, do one minute until you can work your way up to five just because you're doing it for one minute as opposed to 30, the quantity of time is impactful, but the quality of your attention is what's most important. Right. The quality of your practice can only be one minute right now before you want to scream and run down the hallway, then let that be sufficient. And use whatever you need to to support it, whether it's an app, whether it's a sound, whether it's staring at a candle. There's so many different ways to meditate. Yeah. I love that. Those are all awesome, awesome ideas. Um, Daryl, where can people find you? Sure. Um, you can find me um, personally if you go on to Instagram, um, Daryl Jones Spirit. It's all one word. Um, I'm on Facebook as Daryl Jones. Um, I'm with Chill Anywhere. So chillanywhere.com is the, the website that will get you to the app. We also do Zoom classes if you go to chillchicago.com. Um, and I cannot remember my personal blog page right now because I haven't updated it in a while. So we'll just leave it at Instagram and people will be able to find we'll it. We'll find it and link it. We'll find it. it. We'll Thank link you. Yep. Um, 
So those are the main ways to find me. That's great. Awesome. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you so much for your time, Daryl. I know this will bless and support all of our listeners and people during this time. Good. It was yeah. my joy. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but I get excited about this stuff. We want no, it's great. <laughs> your, your passion comes through and that's, you know, that's important, especially yeah. right now. Well, it was a gift to do this, to be of service, but I also want to acknowledge that you asking me to do this and me getting into the excitement and the passion of this again has totally like shifted the rest of my week. So thank you for that gift. Oh, gosh. Good. Good. All right. Thanks so much, Daryl. You're welcome. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by this site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.